This is Coochie's Corner Podcast, hosted by Bobby Bailey. Check us out on social media, Facebook at The Crew Chief, on Twitter at The Crew Chief, Instagram at Crew Chief's Corner, and on TikTok at Crew Chief's Corner. And now on the Anchor Podcasting Network at anchor.fm and the Anchor app. All right, everybody, this is Bobby here with the Crew Chief's Corner Podcast coming to you with another episode and another one of these wraparound episodes. And I was really debating about doing this tomorrow, um, but I realized I have zero time tomorrow to to record a podcast because I wanted to include the official details of the Roush Fenway announcement that's going to get made tomorrow. But um, what we'll do is I'll just do like a, a quick synopsis update or something. Um, maybe later in the week, we'll do like a Thursday episode and we'll kind of wrap up the, the Keselowski news. But what I wanted to do today is I obviously wanted to go over the races out of Atlanta motor speedway and talk about, um, some of the, the big stories of the week, which was the Atlanta repave, um, kind of, you know, the fact that the drivers weren't included in that, um, kind of talking about the, the lack of communication that seems to be going on between NASCAR and, and its biggest, <clears throat> its biggest, excuse me, their biggest, um, stakeholder. I mean, they talk about stakeholders a lot. Um, and, and I know that, that a lot of times when they're talking about stakeholders they're they're not just talking about the drivers. They're talking about the, the track operators, the sponsors of the, of the car, of the, of the, of the series, the sponsors of the tracks. Um, there's a lot of stakeholders involved and, their biggest stakeholder is the drivers. And I think uh, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I think that they're kind of the perception that the fans are seeing and, and, and what was told to the media by the drivers. It, it sounds like they, they don't have a seat at the table right now, which is very concerning as a, as somebody that has been following the sport for over 20 years and, and someone that's been a fan for, you know, just as long, if not a little bit longer, um, it really does concern you because you're wondering where where is the driver's council? What's going on with that? Um, I was under the impression the driver's council was still a thing, um, but it sounds to me like there is no real driver's council. And it sounds like, um, I mean, I thought they made a lot of positive progress uh, since Brian F- France has kind of stepped out of the spotlight and Jim France took over, but it seems like maybe that isn't really – been happening and and maybe we've been um kind of you know given this facade that nascar is is doing all these changes or making all this positive change in the sport and maybe there really isn't as much good going on as it seems to be um so we'll talk about that and and then we'll talk about uh why you shouldn't believe everything on twitter and reddit um you know i feel like we've talked about this before and and this is one of the reasons why i tell people all the time Reddit and Twitter is they're they're great places to get information, but you have to be selective with where you get your news. It, it's just like in real life, you know, you have to take everything at as at face value. You know, sometimes you don't understand where people's thoughts are, where their agendas are, and, and there's people that that throw shit out and just throw it against the wall and see if it sticks, and sometimes you know, you have to kind of look and see what is actual factual information and what is nonsense. And, 
you know, I, I think NASCAR did a lot of had to do a lot of backpedaling with this because the rumors were going out there, and then there was supposedly this Chase Briscoe Reddit account, which supposedly was verified. But I don't know what steps Reddit goes through in order to verify that this person's Chase Briscoe or not. I I really don't know. I mean, with Twitter, I know it's a pretty, you know, it, it is a process to get vetted and get the blue check mark. On Reddit, I'm not really sure. I'm not on the platform. I really don't don't uh, go on there because I know it's kind of it's one of those cesspool social media sites, and uh, it's probably out of all of them, it's probably one of the worst ones out there. And I and I know uh, some of the drivers go on there and chat and whatnot, but um, I just think that Reddit is is worse than Twitter. I mean, Twitter's pretty bad, but I think uh, Reddit's even worse when it comes to you know the cesspool and and just people just you know saying whatever the heck they want and doing whatever they want on there. And I just think that that's how Reddit's always been, at least perceived in my eyes. <clears throat> but I think that it, it really is um, kind of interesting when someone goes out there and says, oh, they, they, they killed dummies. <clears throat> well, you know, NASCAR hasn't said anything. And I think you got to give the sanctioning body a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Um, as, as much as everybody wants to kill NASCAR, and I'm the first person – just to, to call them out when they need to be called out. Um, you know, just like the rest of you, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my opinion of what I thought of the start of the race yesterday was uh, later on as well. But, you know, you got to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. They've been around uh, long enough. They've, they've, they've done a great job, as much crap as everybody gives them. They've done a great job since Dale Sr.'s passing in 2001. They have not had a single driver die in the three national series. Yes, we have had some really close calls. I mean, Ryan Newman last year at Daytona was about as close as you ever want to come to one. Um, and and it's, it's still a dangerous sport. And, you know, we know that this new car, they're, they're testing it. They're, they're, you know, they're crashing it. They want to see what they need to improve upon. I mean, I don't remember when the car tomorrow was coming out. I don't remember there being whispers of, oh my God, they killed a crash dummy. Or, or, I mean, I don't remember hearing whispers of that. Social media is way different back in 2006 and 2007 than it is in 2021. So I think that has a big part of it. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, even if they did injure a dummy or a dummy got hurt, um, I think NASCAR going to the third board is not the red flag that everybody's making it out to be. I think a lot of people are saying that, you know, this is a sign that NASCAR is, you know, they've done something stupid. You know, this car's too rigid. It's too this, it's too that. Let's see what the what NASCAR's actual data is first. Let's see what actually goes to this, uh, you know, appeals board. I mean, this, you know, independent panel. And let's see what the findings are. I mean, you know, we're, we're jumping the gun with information that is spewed on Reddit. I mean, come on, guys, you know. I understand the drivers. This is the first viable information. I, I know drivers have said we've tried to get crash data out of NASCAR. NASCAR doesn't want to give it. And again, it gives the perception that NASCAR doesn't want the drivers to know what's going on. And I understand where NASCAR is coming from in the sense that, you know, we get the data. But, you know, if you just give the data out to everybody, there's going to be even more people spewing rumors. I mean, even more people trying to figure it out. We're trying to. We're trying to put all the data together, get all the information put together, and then present an entire package to this independent panel and and see what recommendations they give to us based on what we found. 
And NASCAR said there is nothing in the in their crash test data that is alarming to them. They're doing this because they want to see from this independent panel of experts that they've put together what else NASCAR could do to make the cars better, what else they could do to make the cars even safer. So I think that the rush to judgment on on the on the Reddit community's part and the fact that drivers, you know, sort of said, I heard the same thing. I heard the same thing. It, it's it's like playing the game of telephone. Okay. If a crash if the crash test dummy got hurt, you know, you play the game of telephone long enough in your life that um you you understand that sometimes people twist a word here or there. They make it seem worse because they, you know, you know, the story isn't that great. They want to spice it up a little bit. And all of a sudden, you know, by the time you're the 30th person to hear, hear the story, the 30th person versus the first person that had the actual original factual information, usually those stories are way different when, if you've ever played the game of telephone. So I just think that we're we're hearing things multiple hands down, and let's wait and see what the actual information is first before we start jumping to conclusions about how unsafe the car is, this, that, and the other. I mean, I heard the guys on Door Bumper Clear all complaining about yeah, you know, well, you know, there's there's no chassis. You can't get chassis yet. You know, uh, you know, Freddie Kraft is saying we're probably going to run the car part time next season. I mean, Freddie Kraft, what the hell? Is He's the first person to tell you. Well, I don't know if Kurt Busch is uh, driving for for uh, you know twenty three eleven or not. He's the first guy to say that, and then he's also the guy's like, well, I know that they don't have chassis yet because the crash data hasn't been confirmed yet. So I mean, sometimes it just goes to show you that even the guys that work in the industry don't know what the hell's going on. So if you want to say that's a red flag or whatever, I mean, you know, come to your own conclusion on that. But I do think the drivers need to know a little bit. Um, It would be one thing if the drivers knew the information and, you know, were like, hey, listen, we found out what the crash data was. We're scared because, you know, this, this, that, and the other. And hopefully those things would have been done behind closed doors. But the fact that there were a few drivers that believed this story on Reddit, it, it kind of makes you wonder, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, how how much do you re- – I mean, I, I don't – like I said, I don't really trust a lot of the stuff I see on Reddit. I mean, there's there's also people on Reddit this week that said that Kevin Harvick's buying JTG Darty Racing. And, you know, I, I sit there and I say to myself, well, Harvick had a choice. Delana Harvick gave Har- uh, Kevin a choice. It's either you own a race team or we have a family. You can't do both. I'm pretty sure Kevin Harvick chose having a family over having a race team. So the fact that now Kevin Harvick all of a sudden wants to do both when Delena said that they really couldn't financially do both. uh, You know, I kind of sit there and I say, how much hogwash is that too? So, um, you know, that's why I said, you know, you can't believe everything you read. You can't believe everything you see on, on Twitter or on Reddit or Facebook, whatever social media you guys use, because there's going to be people out there that are just going to throw shit at the wall hope that it sticks and hopes that some credible form of media is going to take it and run with it. And unfortunately there have been times where people have gotten caught in that. I mean, I got caught in one earlier this year with the Kurt Busch retirement thing. Um, and, 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 you know, sometimes you just, you just flat out miss it because everybody's tripping over each other. to be the first one to have the news. And sometimes those things happen, but um, you know, I, I wasn't rushing out with the dummy stuff. I wasn't rushing out with the JTG Doherty, Kevin Harvick rumors, because who the hell knows? I mean, it's probably not true either one. And there might be elements of it that are true. Like, I mean, obviously Harvick represents Ricky Stenhouse and and, uh, Ryan Priest. So 
I understand why Harvick was in the shop because he's representing his two clients. He's probably negotiating contracts. I know Ryan Priest's contracts up at the end of this year. I believe Stenhouse's contracts up at the end of this year. So he's probably just having a negotiation on behalf of his clients with the race team. I don't think Harvick's in there saying, I'm going to buy the team. You know, he's probably in there representing his clients. You know, so um, say what you want. It, it is what it is at the end of the day. But um, that's what makes silly season silly because there's silly stuff that people come up. And sometimes even those those crazy rumors do end up being true. But a lot of the times the people that break them are not some random guy on Reddit or some random guy on Twitter. A lot of times those are people that are people that are in the know, people that know what's going on, um, that are NASCAR insiders, that are even more inside the sport than I am or, or some of these other guys are. I mean, you know, I'm the first to tell you I'm not, you know, I'm not as inside as other people are. There's people that know way more information than I do and and get more story or get stories sooner than I do. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, some random person on, on, on Reddit isn't going to be, you know, right about their story. Um, because unless they're an actual crew guy that knows what's going on and sometimes you can't even believe crew guys. I mean, there was people that said, Oh, I, I you know, um, there were some crazy rumors I've, I've read online where someone says, Oh, you know, a friend of mine's an employee at, uh, Stuart Haas racing. And, uh, they said that, you know, Ryan Blaney's going to come over and replace Harvick in two years. Uh, when he retires, you know, and Blaney's on loan to Penske. What? <laughs> you know, like, what are these guys talking about? So that's what, that's some of the examples I'm talking about. Sometimes even the, the guys in the shops don't even know what the blank is going on. So um, ca cautionary tales there for you all. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to talk about my friends over at CircleBDieCast.com. Uh, you can check out their website, CircleBDieCast.com. They have the race win uh, diecast up for Kurt Busch, who won out at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Um, they also have uh, his uh, T-shirt up there as well. And then also yesterday's winner, Eric Amarola, his diecast and T-shirt is, is up for pre-orders. Remember, if you use my promo code, Crew Chiefs Corner, no apostrophe S, just Crew Chiefs Corner, you get free shipping on all orders over $20 in the U.S., continental U.S. only. Sorry for you international shippers. Unfortunately, uh, you got to pay for your international shipping. But for all U.S. orders over $20, use my promo code Cruci's Corner, and you can check out my friends at CircleBDieCast.com. This is the Cruci's Corner podcast hosted by Bobby Bailey. For all your latest diecast needs, apparel, and much more, check out CircleBDieCast.com. The best part, all of our Crew Chiefs Corner podcast listeners use my promo code Crew Chiefs Corner. No apostrophe. It's all Crew Chiefs Corner. You'll save, you'll get free shipping on all U.S. orders over $20. Check out CircleBDieCast.com. Use my promo code Crew Chiefs Corner. You get free shipping on all U.S. orders over $20. All right, guys, Bobby Bailey back here on the Coochie's Corner podcast. So let's break down Atlanta first. We had the uh, Xfinity guys out there. We had the Cup guys out there. And then obviously we had the race out at Knoxville Raceway uh, for the truck series. <coughs> um, so real quick, you know, I, I'll say this. 
I know Atlanta is really revered by all the drivers. It's one of those uh, drivers racetracks. And, and, you know, I think we saw it this weekend. The repave is an absolute necessary thing, right? And I think there's been a lot made out of what's going to come with the uh, the the reprofiling of the track and um, the lack of driver input. So first, let's talk about the races. I think Knoxville, the first 30 laps of Knoxville, the heat races were great. The actual first 30 laps of the race was amazing. Guys got to run all over the place. Um, but I think the race itself, you know, once they, the, once the bottom got kind of rubbered up and slicked up, it was very hard to pass on the outside. I think Knoxville is in the same boat that Eldora was in the first year we went to Eldora with the trucks. Um, you know, they have to learn how these trucks, these heavy stock trucks, um, kind of react to the, to the dirt. And it's hard unless you have, um, you know, a, an open practice session or open test session at the track to really see what, what is going to happen with the track. And I think we got to do something different. And, and I heard this a little bit on, you know, I was listening to door bumper clear and, and I was listening to some other podcasts uh, as well, where I, I think NASCAR has got to, has got to change their mindset with these dirt races. I don't mind them running dirt. I mean, I, I know some people don't like it on dirt, it's not the best product on dirt. I'll say that. But I think what NASCAR has got to do is we got to give the tracks an opportunity to uh, manicure the track, go out there, get the track wet, water it, till it, do all the things they need to do to, pro to promote really good racing. And I think the stages are a perfect opportunity for NASCAR to, to bring the trucks down pit road, let give, give the guys instead of a what, five minute clock, give them like 15 minutes. And let them really go out and be able to work on the track. Maybe 20-minute break. Um, actually, maybe not a 20-minute break because 20 minutes, I think it's too long. 15, 10 to 15 minutes would be around the sweet spot. And I don't think you need to have three stages. You know, you don't need to have stage one, stage two, stage three. I think what NASCAR's got to do is go back to the old halftime break at, in, the, in the truck series for the dirt races. So if you want to drop the, you know, still do your three stages, shorten up that those stages a little bit so that you can do the, you know, you can drop a flag, the green and white checkered flag. Let's say, you know, instead of having a 150 lap race, let's have a hundred lap race. You have lap 25, you throw the green, white checkered, right? There's no stage break. You run that second, second stage to lap 50. Then at lap 50, you bring everybody down. You have a 15-minute kind of intermission. You let the, the teams go work on their trucks, make all their changes, change tires, do whatever. And then what you do is you let the track go out and actually, you know, re, you know, kind of go out there, water the track, um, you know, till it a little bit, you know, like break up some of the, the, uh, the rubber in part, you know, on the bottom. So that the track is actually um, a raceable product for the last 50 laps of the race and and shorten it. Make it a 100-lap race. I mean, what dirt race out there do you run 150 laps? It, it's it's kind of mind-blowing that NASCAR is in the mentality of, well, we got to do 150 laps because, you know, we we run, you know, 150 miles at these tracks, this track, this track, and that track. So we got to do 150 laps here. You know, 
people would be okay with them shortening it up to 100 laps and because you're still running longer than a lot of these dirt races are. A lot of these dirt races are, are 50, 75 laps, you know. Um, you know, your world of outlaw guys, they've run 25, 50 laps most nights as their feature. They don't run 100 laps at a dirt track. And those cars are way, way lighter than the NASCAR trucks are. So I think NASCAR's just got to re retool the uh, procedure for the stages at the dirt tracks. Even if they want to get rid of a stage and double up the points in the first stage so that you essentially award the same amount of points that you would at a normal race, then I'm okay with that too. But NASCAR's got to do something. I mean, the product that we saw, you know, uh, at a, at uh, Knoxville was not the greatest product. And then what ends up happening is you have a classic Bristol, a classic Martinsville, where everyone's trying to get to the bottom and they'll wreck you and, de and destroy your truck trying to get there. So then we have four overtime finishes that caused about 17, 18 trucks to get damaged. A lot of those trucks are beat up beyond repair. A lot of those trucks are going to get destroyed. I get it. Some of these teams went to the, to Knoxville with old trucks that they didn't really have any plans on running again, ever again, anyhow, but it costs a lot of money for these guys to go to their track. And especially you look at the backside of that field, um, you know, there are some smaller teams there that, that are running on a shoestring budget. I mean, I look at the Josh Riome and, um, you know, the 33, 34 trucks, those guys get ter torn up trucks. I mean, it's not like Josh has got a, a multi-thousand dollar sponsor every race. He can afford to buy a new truck or or go out and get a new truck to him. You know, you look at the Norm Bennings of the world. Those guys, when their trucks get destroyed, that throws a huge monkey wrench into their budget for the year. And a lot of times, those are the things that, you know, people don't realize. Fans don't understand. You know, the guy that, that finishes last at, at the truck race at, a, uh, at Knoxville – you know, probably gets four thousand dollars, five thousand dollars for 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 purse money. That truck they're racing probably cost them one hundred fifty, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, if not more, to run to buy that truck. And you're only going to win five thousand dollars. You know what? What's the what's the benefit in wrecking your truck there? Um, even if you go buy a junker of a truck and you get it as a rolling chassis for fifty thousand dollars, and you go out and buy a motor, you know, lease a motor. You, you rent a, um, you actually, you know, you got a couple of volunteers to work on the pit crew because you didn't really need to have an actual uh, pit crew for Knoxville because they're non-competitive pit stops. Um, you know, you have a truck and a trailer and all that stuff. I mean, these guys are spending, you know, hundreds of, the, you know, probably a hundred grand to go run that race. And they're only going to make $5,000 back if, if, if that, you know, and then you come back with a damaged truck that now is going to cost you probably more than that $5,000 that you made for finishing in, you know, 32nd place. It's a tough deal. And, and people just, I, I don't know if people realize the, what, what the drivers in the truck series are really up against. And, uh, you put on a show like that, it, it's tough. And you have a demo, a demo derby at the end. It, it just puts teams in a really bad spot. Um, and it puts some of them really on, on a, on a, on a financial bubble, um, that at some point is going to burst and you just hope it doesn't burst, you know, um, with too many of these situations, you know, in a row. So, um, tough deal, but you know, Austin Hill gets his win. Uh, it seems like this guy wins at some of the most unsuspecting tracks for him. Uh, he's not a guy I would say was a, a is a dirt guy by any stretch of the imagination, but 
he was the last man standing. He was the one that got the win there uh, at Knoxville, and and it was kind of uh, kind of a bizarre race. Like I said, it was a demolition derby. The last four overtime finishes, um, I didn't really see any of it because I fell asleep thinking uh, there were about twenty laps to go. That uh, you know the guy that that I forgot even who was leading, but I was like, ah, eh, whoever's leading is going to win this race. You know, there's not that many laps to go, and apparently chaos ensued after that. So. Um, <laughs> it is what it is, but, uh, kind of a, kind of a crazy race. And like I said, I think NASCAR has got to, got to rethink the stages. I think they got to do something with getting the windshields out of the trucks and the, and the, and the cars, if they're going to do this and, uh, do something, do something to help them out. You know, I just think it's, we're at that point where, where they need help, um, you know, on these dirt tracks. So, um, that's my, that's my story. And I'm sticking to it with the trucks at Knoxville. Moving on to the Xfinity race, obviously uh, Kyle Busch goes out and and wins his 102nd uh, race. I know there was a lot of controversy because he wrecked, wrecked Daniel Hemrick. And uh, listen, it, it's kind of funny. I look at Daniel Hemrick a lot of the same way some people look at Matt D. Benedetto, and and I'll tell you the comparison and, and why I make it for for this reason. Daniel Hemrick's been in all three series. He's, he started out in trucks. He, he moved his way up to Xfinity and, and worked his way into cup for a year with, with Childress. I've met Daniel several times. He is the nicest guy in the world. Okay. He goes out of his way to say hello to you. He's, he's extremely nice. I I've always, you know, pulled for him as far as from a, a nice, uh, you know, person, uh, perspective. And, and he's just, like you say, he's a good hum, human being, you know? When it comes to on the track stuff, I just I don't know, man. I I just there's there's a lot of me that says I don't understand why this guy is is getting as many opportunities as he gets and the quality opportunities he's gotten when he hasn't performed really that great. And I know that win is 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 been dangling in front of him for a while. I mean, you know, you look at you know he was in uh, really good equipment. You know, with Junior Motorsports last year, didn't get a win. Uh, he was in really good equipment when he was driving for RCR and Xfinity. Never got that win. Um, you know, now he's in Gibbs stuff, and and he had the lead at Atlanta. And I know he got wrecked out of it by Kyle Busch, but <clears throat> you know, at the same time, you know, you just sit there and you're like, when is this guy going to get his win? And, and and why is he not doing great? You know, he's. He runs decent, but he doesn't get that win, and he's not closing the deal. And I just – I, I kind of wonder if the win doesn't happen this year, what is Daniel Hemrick's next move? Because I, I would I would be hard-pressed to find that he is going to continue to get money thrown at him to get these quality rides. And if he's not winning races, where – you know, like at some point the, the money dries up. I mean, at some point the sponsor says, Hey, you haven't won. We're moving on or, or we're getting out of the sport or, you know, this isn't working for us. And a lot of times when those things happen, the sponsor leaves the sport. There's not a lot of times where a sponsor leaves and goes to a different driver. I mean, Poppy bank might turn around and say, Hey, listen, we're going to sponsor Ty Gibbs uh, because we're already paying Gibbs their money. We're just going to go sponsor Ty instead. And maybe, <clears throat> maybe that is what happens. You know, maybe they do end up leaving Daniel Hemrick and goes to a Ty Gibbs or or somebody else that they throw in that in that eighteen car. But I think you look at um, Daniel Hemrick; he, he's he's just he's in the same boat Matt D. Benedetto is. 
And I look at D Benedetto in the cup series and I just say, you know, it, it sucks because Matt is again, another great human being. He's, he's salt of the earth, nice guy, but the performance on the racetrack doesn't match the personality. You know, he's a nice guy. He's a great guy, but he just hasn't gotten that win. He hasn't gotten that, um, that chance to get that win yet. And I just think that sometimes those barriers to, to breaking through and getting those wins are sometimes what separates the Jimmy Johnson's of the world from Matt D. Benedetto, Daniel Hemrick. I mean, you can even go down and look at, at some of the guys that are in, in Xfinity that have struggled. I mean, Michael Annette's another guy. I mean, you know, Michael Annette, yeah, he hasn't won at Daytona, but I mean, outside of that, when have you seen Michael Annette really, you know, compete for wins at like a Dover or a Road America or some of these tracks? You you haven't seen it. And you just you know that he's in that seat because of something we've talked about quite a bit on this show is pay driver. He is a pay driver. You know, his father, Harold Annette, used to own you know, was the owner of TMC, uh, was the founder of that, and obviously now it's an employee owned company, but you know, he founded that company and they did a lot of business with Pilot Flying J for their tr- trucks to go get fuel and, and, and you know, uh, go in there and buy, you know, shower time and all the other stuff that Pilot Flying J offers their, their customers. Um, so, you know, you understand why he's sponsored by them. You understand why he's in that seat. And, and at the end of the day, you say, well, he's got one career win, you know, and it was at Daytona. Um, you look at, you know, the guy that won this past weekend, uh, at New Hampshire, Eric Amarola, he was in the same boat. Everyone's like, why why is this guy in a cup car? There's a lot of people this year are questioning why Eric Amarola was in a cup car. Then all of a sudden you go out and you watch Sunday's race and you're like, where the hell did he come from? You know, he goes out there, he's leading 25. I think he got 25 or 27 laps at the end of the, you know, towards the end of the race there. And everyone's like, where the hell did Eric Amarola come from? Where was this guy all season? You know? Uh, and sometimes, you know, guys surprise you, but, uh, you know, I, getting back to the, to the race, I mean, I think, you know, Daniel Hemrick is, he's bound to be in, con, you know, in contention again, to win a race. I just hope he's able to close the deal. Just like Matt D. Benedetto. I think Matt can win races given the right equipment, given the right stuff. He hasn't done it yet. And I think a lot of why he struggled with the Wood Brothers is he even admitted it. You know, he wasn't fast enough to pull the change on that 21 team, getting rid of Greg Irwin, who, you know, experienced cup crew chief. He's won races with Greg Biffle. He's been around team Penske for a while. He knows the ins and outs of that organization. And unfortunately for Matt, it did not lead the results uh, that he was, he was looking for. And and now they got a new guy in there and uh, Jonathan Hausler, uh, uh, and he's doing a great job. You know, you look at they're they're starting to click. They're starting to have great runs over there. And, you know, Matt is is starting to get, you know, those results that you were expecting of Matt the entire last year and a half. And and now it's like, you know, you're in the catch-22. You know, you're like, well, we just let him go, and now he's looking for a ride. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Matt goes out and wins, like, a Bristol or, or a short track race. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he went out and won Daytona, honestly, in that 21 car. I wouldn't be surprised one bit. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, but like I said, I think, I think Hemrick, the wind's coming, um, you know, you hope it is for his sake, because, you know, he's, he's one of those guys. I mean, he, he's getting a several multi, he's getting a multi-million dollar deal to drive that, that 18 car at Gibbs 
we know what happened the last time a driver that walked in there with a with a sponsor to to pay for a Gibbs car and uh, didn't perform. We know what happened. Just go ask Jeffrey Earnhardt how that deal with the 18 turned out. So, uh, I mean, at least Daniel's not running 15th every week. You know, he's running better than that, you know, but um, it, it's the same argument people are making with Riley Herbst right now over at, at Stuart Haas Racing. I mean, you know, he's driving the same equipment that Chase Briscoe had last year and won, uh, what was it, eight or nine races last year. And Riley Herbst is, is barely hanging on to the to the playoffs. You know, and people sit there and say, what the heck is going on with this kid? Like, how is he how is he barely hanging on to the playoffs with a team that won nine races last year? You know, I mean, is Riley that bad of a driver? And, and, and I've seen videos where, you know, where it's shown his career montage of wrecking. And you sit there and say, yeah, you know, Riley Herbst does have a not so good track record when it comes to, uh, you know, finishing races. And, and even even. This past weekend at Loudon, he he finished tenth, but he was in an accident. <laughs> you know, he's he spun on a restart. I mean, you know, you sit there and you say, "What the hell is going on with this kid?" So, um, I don't know. But getting back to Atlanta, a big win for Kyle. His supposedly his final scheduled start ever in the Xfinity Series. Listen, I'm not I'm not the world's biggest Kyle Busch fan. I, just like a lot of you aren't. I'll say this: you can't deny that the guy's got talent behind the wheel. You can't deny that. Um, Without Kyle Busch, I don't know if that as many fans would tune in. He does draw people to the crowd at the at, you know on TV and in person. And the other thing is that you know it makes the series better because it it gives the drivers an opportunity to compete against a guy who is at the top of his craft in the Cup Series to come down and compete against these young guys, and it gives the team owners a good bar- uh, barometer of where their driver is. You know, look at Kyle Busch in the truck series this year. John Hunter Nemechek has beaten him a few times. Now, I know Kyle owns that truck, but don't you think that an Xfinity team owner or a Cup Series team owner, maybe on some of these bigger teams for John Hunter's sake, um, looks and says, man, that John Hunter Nemechek, I got to put him on my radar, you know, and, and keep my eye on him. Like, you know, you know, he's beating Kyle Busch in the truck series in his own equipment. You know, that, that says something about John Hunter Nemechek. And I think that that's kind of the same thing that is attracting, you know, the Harrison Burtons to, to Team Penske. Um, Austin Sindrick has beaten Kyle Busch several times, you know, over the last couple of years. So you look at those those things, and it kind of bodes well for guys, you know, moving up. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, you look at Chris Busher, wins an Xfinity Championship, gets put in a cup car, wins a rain-shortened race out at Pocono, uh, fog-shortened race, thunderstorm-shortened race, whatever you want to call it. Um, but but really hasn't been that great in the car. I think a lot of that has to do with Roush. I think Roush has struggled a lot. But, you know, Daniel Suarez wins an Xfinity Championship with Gibbs, getting in a Gibbs Cup car, totally like deer in the headlights over there. And now he's kind of like starting to find himself again now at Trackhouse. So, um, you know, it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Eric Jones, another great example. Eric Jones goes out and wins a lot of races. I know he didn't really win the Xfinity Series championship, but goes out, wins the Truck Series championship, runs very well in Xfinity, wins races, uh, you know, is competitive his couple years that he's in the in the series or the championship, goes out, runs cup, gets a couple wins, and really due to funding is put out of ride. Now he's driving for for Richard Petty Motorsports. So 
sometimes that barometer isn't always the best, but it does give you an opportunity to put a guy against a cup guy and and see, you know, are they really that good? Are they are they as good as you think they are? You know, can they compete with a Kyle Bush or Kevin Harvick or, you know, Chase Briscoe even or some of these guys that have come through the ranks and, and see if they can compete? I mean, you know, Christopher Bell goes and runs the Xfinity race at New Hampshire, dominates, beats everybody, you know, really well, you know. And then you look at, okay, well, you know, Daniel Hemrick wasn't really close to the lead most of the day. You look at some of these other guys that are that are in cars and you're like, well, they couldn't beat this guy. You know, this guy hasn't run an Xfinity race in over a year, comes down and, and just beats up on the field. And then you look and, and Christopher Bell's in contention to win the race Sunday for, for the Cup Series. So, um I think that, again, that gives you that barometer uh, and why I think the Kyle Busch uh, situation, albeit not the the best one, um, I think that those are valid reasons why Kyle should be allowed to go down there and run those those races. Uh, but Kyle's the one that put the 100-win uh, you know, limit out there to him. He said, listen, if I, if I get to 100, I want to quit racing. I understand he was contractually obligated to run all five races this, this season that he, that he had. So he got his 102 wins. He's done. So more power to it, but I, I do think it's a, it's a loss for the series um, and say what you will about that. But I, I do think that uh, it is a loss. You know, it is, it does bring fans to the television, whether they like them or hate them. They, they want to watch. They want to see if Kyle wins. You know that the people that don't like Kyle Busch will be the first people I'll be cheering when he wrecks. You know that the, that when Kyle Busch wins, his, his, his fans will go crazy, get a little rowdy. Uh, you know, use his nickname there, but you know, that's, that's the the purpose behind it. Getting Kyle Busch to run the Xfinity series brings eyeballs to the series that maybe otherwise wouldn't be there. So that's that getting to the cup race, obviously a big win for Kurt Busch. Um, I'll tell you this about Kurt Busch, Kurt Busch, when he first came up, you know, a lot of people liked Kurt because of his kind of flamboyant, uh, personality, uh, he did get into it with, with, you know, Jimmy Spencer in his early days in Cup. Got fired from Roush because of his uh, DWI out in, in Phoenix. Um, got fired from Penske because of some comments he's he made to uh, Jerry Punch in a, in a post-race interview. But there was a lot of things before that. I mean, he was screaming at Roger Penske on the radio, cursing out his crew chief, you know, every week. Um, There's a myriad of things. Kurt Busch was was quote unquote the outlaw and a lot of a lot of fans didn't like Kurt and I think what really turned the corner for Kurt Bush was when he went to Phoenix racing and he drove for James Finch I think he kind of found himself in between that period of time and then when he went to go drive for furniture row racing I think he really found himself I think he became a different person I think after the situation with Stuart Haas racing where uh, he kind of found himself on the outside looking in there because of sponsorship issues. Uh, and Suarez had a little more sponsorship money than than Kurt did, and that's kind of why they did that driver swap there. I think Kurt's perspective on racing changed. And I think that Kurt changed as a person. I think there was obviously the his his ex-wife's whole deal, uh, you know, I think really changed him. I, I think a lot of it's changed him for the better. Uh, you know, Kurt... Kurt, I met him a couple of years ago, uh, totally different than the Kurt Busch I met when he was a young guy, you know, a young kid. I mean, he totally different guy, uh, you know, was was really receptive to the fans, you know, 
totally willing to take pictures. He wasn't like trying to hide um, like some of these guys do, uh, you know, just, just a, a genuine guy. And that's, I think what is attracting people back to Kurt now. And I think that's why he got the ovation he got. I mean, yeah, any anytime someone says, hey, we beat Kyle Busch, he's that, that driver, no matter if it's Kurt Busch, whether it's Eric Amarola, whether it's, you know, Denny Hamlin, for, for, for God's sakes, the fans are going to react positively to that because there's a lot of people that don't like Kyle. So, um, but the fact that Kurt said it, you know, I think kind of, Kind of was, you know, a little eye-opening, but uh, I, I expected that out of Kurt, honestly. I, I expected him to say, hey, we beat my brother. You know, I taught that kid everything I know. And then Kyle gives the interview that he gave post-race, uh, you know, like the whiny little kid that he can be sometimes. Um, you know, it just makes you wonder. I mean, you know, be a little grateful that your your brother won the race. Be grateful that your brother didn't wreck you know, in the race. Be grateful that your brother taught you everything you know. Um, you know, I just, it, it just, that's one of the things that's always bothered me with Kyle is that Kyle has never, he's not one to show humility. He's not one to show that he's, um, uh, happy for other people, genuinely happy for other people. He just comes across, he comes across like a whiny kid. And I know a lot of people are going to use other, other adjectives for that, but he comes across as a whiny kid because he just acts like, you know, I didn't win. I'm going to pout. I'm, I, I'm, I'm mad. I didn't get my way. I didn't win the race. You know, it's, it's the, you know, it's the, it's the crew chief's fault. Cause the car didn't turn. It's, you know, it's Goodyear's fault. Cause the tires are crap. You know, Kyle comes up with all these excuses for why he can't win races. And it's just, you know, come out and say, Hey, it just wasn't our day. You know, like we did the best we could, you know, second was the best we could get you know, be grateful a little bit, you know? And I just think that it's the humility part of Kyle that turns people off with him, you know? And I, I just, I don't get it. I mean, you know, I, I get me, you know, everyone's wired differently, right? You know, not all of us are the same because if we were all the same, life would be incredibly boring, wouldn't it? But Kyle, I think one of the reasons why he's so polarizing one way or the other is because of his personality, you know? And, and I'll say this, like I've met Kyle, in person and Kyle can be two ways. Kyle can be friendly, but Kyle can also be a big jerk to you. It all depends on Kyle's mood. And I know that you could say that about any driver. I mean, hell, you know, I've run into Jimmy Johnson and his PR person just shoves everybody out of the way. Jimmy's having a bad day and just like clear cut clears out a whole entire line of people trying to get his autograph. I've seen Kyle Bush someone walks up to him with a, with a, you know, bad day at the race is custom die cast. And, and, you know, you know, he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, Kyle. You know, and Kyle's like, no, you're not, you know, but Kyle's having fun with it. But I've seen Kyle where he's just like, no, I'm not signing for adults. I'm only signing for kids. I've seen that Kyle too. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's, you get what you get with him, you know? And, and I think sometimes the antics on TV, people might think are, are for TV. No, that's how Kyle really is. And, in real life. And, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of disappointing. Like I said, to the people that just, you know, you want to like him for the fact that he's a, you know, he, he drives the hell out of everything he, he has a chance to sit behind the wheel of. He is a, a very talented race car driver. I can't, you can't take that away from him, but his personality, the way he carries himself, his lack of humility, his lack of, of being uh, a gracious person, 
is part of the reason why people don't like him, you know? And, and I think that um, that's why Kyle Busch is treated the way he is and why Kurt's treated the way he is. Cause, cause Kurt got humbled. He was humbled by a lot of situations in his life and Kurt carries himself differently. And that's why the fans were so happy to see Kurt Busch win. Um, despite whatever you want to say about the repave or, and the drivers getting mad and all this other stuff, people like Kurt Busch because he redeemed himself in the fans' eyes because now he's more humble, he's more outgoing, he's more outspoken uh, in a positive way, though. He's not outspoken and bashing NASCAR all the time. He's not outspoken and bashing his team. He actually is a, a, a change, you know, he changed himself positively. That's what you want to see. So that's my Atlanta wrap-up. Big win for Kurt Busch, his uh, 33rd career win. Uh, huge for him, obviously, with Canassi going and selling to Trackhouse at the end of the season. Uh, big win for those guys. Hopefully, uh, we'll see another win for Kurt uh, before the season's out, before he's on his way to supposedly 23-11 racing. We'll see what happens there. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to take a little break. We're going to talk about my website, thecrewchief.net, so go check that out. Then on the other side, we will talk about the Atlanta repave controversy we will talk about new hampshire and the controversy for the start of the cup race yesterday at the magic mile this is the crew chiefs corner podcast hosted by bobby bailey check out the crewchief.net for all the latest nascar news driver points owner points uh, race results race schedules paint schemes and, all, of course, all the latest news and information. That's Once again, that's thecrewchief.net, your portal to the world of NASCAR silly season news and racing statistics. All right, guys, we're back here on the Crew Chief's Corner Podcast. This is Bobby Bailey. So now we are going to go over New Hampshire. So we only had the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series up in New Hampshire. I kind of talked a little bit about it. But I first wanted to start off with kind of like putting the little cherry on top of the last segment and talk about the Atlanta repave. Uh, and we'll talk about the uh, crash test dummy information uh, as well. So first with the Atlanta repave, obviously they announced over uh, on Friday at Atlanta Motor Speedway, they're going to do a repave officially after the conclusion of the Quaker State 400. Actually, Right after the checkered flag flew, they started ripping the foam out of the uh, safer barriers and started disassembling the safer barriers uh, starting on uh, last Monday uh, so they could start the repaving and the reprofiling of the racetrack. So two things to take away from here. The first thing is the overreaction of NASCAR community when it comes to the reprofiling of the racetrack. And what I mean overreaction is they're changing the banking from 24 degrees to 28 degrees. And the thing that I think a lot of drivers were upset about is that it's it's going to make the track more Daytona, Talladega style. It's going to be pack racing. It's going to be all this. Drivers are going to complain all the time, anytime they repave a track. And I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or indifferent because a lot of the times when they repave the tracks, as we've seen the last several years, they have made the racing worse at the tracks, especially if you look at Kentucky, you look at Texas, um, you look actually people forget Atlanta the first couple of years were, was really bad. The only track that they've repaved and haven't destroyed is actually the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, but you look at Kansas, 
with that repave kind of has been crap racing. Michigan has been totally destroyed. Um, Auto Club, thank God they haven't repaved it, or but I'm sure when they redesign it, reconfigure it, I'm sure those first couple years the track's not going to be that great. Richmond isn't even the same Richmond that it used to be. Bristol, uh, the reconfiguration, uh, it's been kind of eh. It was terrible the first couple years after they redid it. Then they kind of went and milled the top down a little bit uh, to make it not as aggressive, uh, progressive banked. Um, excuse me, they made it a little bit better, but overall, I think a lot of times when they reprofile tracks, they haven't been that great. When they redid Las Vegas, whatever the hell they did to Las Vegas, they actually made the racing pretty good. If you remember, Las Vegas was was definitely flatter. They added some banking to it. Um, and, and if I remember correctly, they, they did something pretty similar to what they're going to do at Atlanta, where they made the banking a little bit steeper. But they didn't – it wasn't a dramatic change. It wasn't like it went from 12 degrees of banking to like 30. You know, it wasn't like a big dramatic change. It was something subtle that made the racing a little bit better. They they changed up the – they made it, I think, more progressive banking than the banking um, that they had staggered out originally. Um, and I think it made for a better product. The worry with Atlanta is that, you know, now they're making the track more narrow. So right now it's 55 feet wide in the corners at Atlanta, which is huge. And they're going to go down to 40. So a lot of people say, oh, that's 15 feet of racing space. But think about the tracks that have 40 foot of width in the corners, Charlotte and Daytona. Okay. So I don't really think that the width of the track is going to be a big issue. I mean, I know people are saying, oh, they're, you know, they're still going to run all over the place. Okay. They're still going to race all over that racetrack, whether it's 40 feet of space or 55 feet of space. They're going to give them enough room to race, and, and that's that. The second part of this is that the drivers are up in arms because they weren't consulted. Well, you know the one guy out of every single driver in the top 20 in, that were in the media bullpen um, that actually got asked if they were consulted? There was one guy that said yes, Kurt Busch. So they did go after somebody. Now, should they have gone after more drivers? Probably. It probably would have been a better PR move because they wouldn't have gotten the uh, the things that they got. But listen, drivers and, – and this isn't just drivers. People in general don't like change. Think about this. You change the packaging on, on, a, on, a, on a product, right? People will complain about it to no end. Why couldn't the packaging stayed the same? You know, it should have been this way. This is how it's been forever. It's just like when NASCAR makes a rule change. Every fan hates it. Hates it. But if it made the racing better, none of them are going to say, why well, actually, you know, you know, I was wrong. Nobody admits they're wrong when it comes to it. So and it was funny because Denny Hamlin made a tweet. This is the same group that destroyed Kentucky, destroyed Texas, put dirt on Bristol. Uh, and then we're saying, well, you know, there's one track we don't even race at anymore. One track lost the date, and the other now, they, they put dirt on it, <laughs> you know? I mean, Hamlin's not wrong, but the reason why Texas lost the date isn't necessarily tied to the fact that they redid the track. The reason why Kentucky doesn't have a, a date right now isn't really necessarily tied to the fact that they redid the track. Um, you know, fact of the matter is, is you know, SMI 
decided that they wanted to go run, uh, you know, Circuit of the Americas. And in order to do that, they have to take a date there. So they took it from Texas. And what they could do instead was they could give Texas the all-star race, which I thought was a smart move. I didn't really particularly like the package that NASCAR brought to that track. But for SMI, it made sense. Just the fact that they're not running Kentucky, I mean, I, I don't know. I think part of the problem is that there's not a ton of fans that go there. And I, and I know that Atlanta didn't draw the crowd that Kentucky would have. I understand that. But I, I think that this date at Atlanta is a is a placeholder anyhow. Because I, I look at it this way. The Nashville Fairgrounds is probably going to be put together within the next several several years. Atlanta's had a lot of problems with dates. You know, whatever date they end up with, they it just seems like they can't sell the place out. I think the reprofiling of the track, I don't want to call it a gimmick. I want to say it's a marketing tactic that SMI has put together to get people to go to the track. Because the rate the the car the new car is going to generate some excitement, right? But it's not going to generate all the excitement. You got to do something, and I think that that this is the first, this is the repave. It hasn't been repaved in in since 1996. It's the oldest pavement on the circuit. Now it's going to be the newest pavement on the circuit. They're going to reprofile it by four degrees. They're going to shorten the corners up, uh, narrow the corners up by 15 feet. They're going to try to make the racing closer together by doing this. I just again, I just think the drivers just are complaining to complain. I just they're going to complain about everything. Um, and that's just the nature of, of life. I mean, people are going to complain anytime there's a change made. So I don't really buy into it that much. I think Dale Jr. did a great job. He talked about it on the Dale Jr. download. Um, uh, you know, he went out and drove the, 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 the build that I racing came up with and, and said, realistically, he says, I don't really notice a difference. He says, they're not changing the transition of the corners. They're not changing. They're not changing the walls. They're not changing. It's just four degrees of banking that they're. They're adding into the track at the middle of the track. So it, it's the middle groove that's going to be four degrees higher bank than it is now. He says, and you really don't notice it. He says, I think it's going to race the same that it raced, you know, uh, any other time. He says, the thing that will be interesting is that they claim that they have the technology to recreate the same amount of traction that the track had in it on, uh, you know, two weeks ago to recreate that in the in the repave. So we'll see what happens, but you know, let's give them an opportunity to try it. People, you got to pack your patience sometimes. I say if we're in this deal in five, six years from now, and the racing isn't really that great, it's single file, it's it's crap, then we can get on NASCAR's case. But you got to give them some time. You know, the first couple of years are going to suck because repaves always suck the first few years. Let it get a little weather in it and then see what happens. You know. Um, a lot of us that you know aren't happy with the Michigan repave have a right to be upset about the Michigan repave because now we've been in it since 2012, and 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 the product at Michigan is not what the product of old Michigan used to be. I'm sorry, it just isn't. You know, NASCAR's got to figure. I mean, you know, these tracks have got to figure it out on, you know, repaving or or just you know doing something. I mean, I don't know what else they could do. Um, but they, they just, they've screwed some of these tracks up pretty bad. And, and I think some of it is they're not willing to admit they screwed them up and they just, you know, do whatever they, they, they want with them. So it's going to be, 
it's going to be a sight to behold when it's done and see how different it is. But I do think some of the drivers are just complaining for the sake of compla- complaining that they haven't been consulted. And um, it does worry you as a, as a fan because NASCAR is not, you know, giving the drivers a seat at the table when they're, when they're making these discussions and, and whether that's SMI or, or NASCAR or, or whomever, it just seems like a lot of these changes are just tough um, for the drivers to stomach when they're not being consulted. And, and, and I agree with them on that. You know, they should be consulted at least uh, because they're the ones that are strapping themselves in the car. They're the ones that are putting their, their lives on the line for it. Um, you know, they're going to complain about anything you do, but you still got to hear them out a little bit. I mean, even if you don't take their, their advice and their, their knowledge, uh, into account, you still got to listen, you know, it, do, it doesn't pay you, it doesn't cost you anything to listen to a driver's opinion. And I think they needed more, more input. Um, the one thing I will say, I don't like the people that are mad at iRacing about this. This has nothing to do with iRacing. iRacing was simply building the track that they were told to build by SMI. It's not, I, iRacing didn't say this is how we would redo Atlanta. Um, no. That's not how it was done. It was done totally the other way. It was totally SMI saying, this is what, what we want to do. Uh, could you build this for us? And then they went and uh, tested it and did a little bit of uh, some work on that. But besides that, I, I there wasn't – it. this isn't iRacing Speedway. This is Atlanta Motor Speedway. This is SMI that went to uh, iRacing to build it to see to see what would – you know, would it work and what the results could possibly be. So I think that's, that's all they did. So – uh, I, I can't fault iRacing for for any involvement in this. This is uh, squarely you got to put the put all the blame on Marcus Smith and SMI at this point. Uh, you know, like I said, in a few years, if the product's really that bad, you got to blame them for it. Um, so getting to uh, the crash testing real quick. I mean, yeah, we already talked about it a little bit in the opening. Um, don't believe everything you read on Reddit. Don't believe everything you read on Twitter. Um, you know, it was kind of funny. Some of the people that were mentioning it, uh, said, Oh, I heard the same thing. You know, you hear Bob Levine talking about this, that, and the other. I mean, I, listen, I like Bob. I, I think he brought a lot of insight into the sport, but I think sometimes Bob has the tendency to believe information that necessarily comes from some pretty bad sources. And I think that that that's kind of dangerous too, to be putting out the same bad information. Um, just like I think, you know, it would have been really a, a bad, bad thing on my part to believe something on Reddit anyhow. Um, you know, listen, I, I don't have people that, that that give me inside information when it comes to the, tr- the to the new car, uh, the next gen car. I mean, I, I don't have privy information to that, but it doesn't take much to to real to realize that um, I think this was a severe game of telephone that was played by somebody. And uh, maybe there were some injuries. Maybe there was some not so good crash test data, but I don't think it, it necessarily means that, that the dummy died. Um, I think sometimes things get blown out of proportion by people for, for uh, innocent reasonings and sometimes for on purpose reasonings. And I think that this is one of those situations where I think somebody was looking to get a certain reaction out of the driver community and the fact that a a confirmed Reddit uh, account belonging to Chase Briscoe confirmed the news as well, um, it 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 bought some credence to it and it bought some validity to it. But you know now you got the sanctioning body coming out and and they have to defend it. You know they have to defend that this did not happen and and we did not release information to the public or to the press yet about it because 
we still haven't completed our report that we're giving to this independent panel. And I think the fact that there is an independent panel, people made judgments on it, whether it was right, wrong, or indifferent of, well, why do you create an independent panel? Well, it's not like NASCAR is going to go to the FIA and say, hey, we, you know, you guys are going to review the, the NASCAR cup car to see if it's safe. The FIA would turn around and be like, why the hell are we getting involved in this? So NASCAR has to go to, to, to some people that have knowledge of the sport, have knowledge of the cars, and have knowledge of safety. So they're using some people that have working knowledge of the sport, have a working knowledge of, of the safety innovations that NASCAR has come up with, and what is, you know, what kind of crash data is in there. So they have the guy that was involved in the Dale Earnhardt uh, accident investigation at Daytona, you know, his fatal wreck. They have a couple other people on that panel too. Um, so they're doing, they're doing this to get a review and to make sure that they didn't miss anything, that there's not something dramatically wrong with this car that they need to fix right now. They don't see any issues on NASCAR side. They don't see any issues. So I think the fans, let's take a deep breath. Let's, let's relax. I know the drivers are all up in arms about this. Um, NASCAR should be more transparent. I'll be the first person to say NASCAR should be more transparent with the fans and with the drivers when it comes to the crash test data. But once that information gets presented, I would like NASCAR to give it to the fans. I would like NASCAR to give it to the drivers as well. And, and let everybody know what is going on and let us know what the actual results were. So that way there, the fans know what's going on. The drivers know what's going on. Everybody's happy and we can move on. But I think NASCAR has got to open the channels of communication up with the drivers way more. I think there is a gleaming disparity in what used to be the practice of open door driver council, seat at the table versus now where these guys have no say in what goes on. They're not even being consulted when it comes to the new car and uh, in, in the safety aspect. They're not getting uh, an open door when it comes to track changes. Um, it it kind of worries you a little bit. It kind of worries you about where the direction of the sport is. It kind of makes what Tony Stewart's comments were uh, a, about a year ago uh, kind of or two years ago kind of makes them a little bit more relevant and a little bit more eye-opening. Um, that there was people in NASCAR that kind of started this culture of, you know, shut the drivers out. You know, we know what's best for the sport and it kind of, kind of concerns you. Um, and then, you know, getting into New Hampshire, you have a perfect example of where NASCAR's lack of communication with the drivers and lack of listening to the drivers cost really three drivers a chance at winning the race. Kyle Busch wrecks, right? Lap six, there's rain in turn one and two. Supposedly, according to Steve O'Donnell, it is the, the fastest rainstorm that ever exists in human history um, to develop. And, and this is where I go to, to wonder if Nat, what the hell is going on in race control. You know, David Hoots leaves and NASCAR, it, it seems like since David Hoots has left, race control at NASCAR has been a total shit show, for lack of a better word. It's been a total shit show. And I just wonder if NASCAR really understands the ramifications of them letting drivers go into turn one and two on slick tires that do not grip to the asphalt when there is water on the track, what the ramifications of that situation is. Now you just cost Kyle Busch a race, right? 
Martin Truex Jr. has to hobble around with a damaged race car. And, you know, Martin did come back and finish halfway decent. Um, Denny Hamlin had to, to fight through the field because he had damage in his car. Okay. You know, there's other guys that were damaged as well. What the hell is NASCAR doing? And what the hell are the corner workers doing? I mean, we have seen this at other places where the corner workers have blown calls on on debris. They have blown calls on rain. I mean, what the hell are the what is going on up there? I, I, I need to I need to be honest with you. I think NASCAR, if they're not doing it today, they should really look at the race control and fire whoever the hell is in charge of the corner workers. Whatever that person is, that person should be fired today. I'm sorry. It needs to happen. Driver safety should always be paramount. And you know what? I mean, thank God Kyle Busch did not get hurt. Thank God Kyle Busch did not get, you know, killed. Because that situation is 100% avoidable, in my opinion. And my, you know, I know I'm going to use a door bumper clear uh, reference here. My what an idiot of the race is Steve O'Donnell. And I want to put square on his peg. Because you do not go into that NBC broadcast booth and honestly give NASCAR fans this bullshit answer of, what was the fastest rainstorm I ever saw in my life? What are your corner workers doing? Why are you not listening to the drivers? Martin Truex Jr., the lap before he wrecked, said the track was wet. What the hell is NASCAR doing? And and I'm sorry. I know a lot of people are mad that Kyle Busch was, was running into the pace car and saying you should be fine. If I'm if I'm NASCAR, if they find Kyle Busch, I'm telling you now, Kyle Busch should protest it to to the cows come home, because that's bullshit that they cost him that race. I'm not a Kyle Busch fan, but the fact that he restrained himself was was amazing. Second off, I mean him getting into the pace car. I don't care that they had to supposedly pull out the backup pace car. Who gives a shit? They costed him a race. I'm not saying Kyle could have won, but they cost him a finish. He has a sponsor up there in in uh, Interstate Batteries that probably brought people to the race to watch Kyle race. Reesers had you know a lot of people up there because they're only on Truex's car for four races this year. I mean, it costs a lot of money for these people to sponsor a race car, and NASCAR Race Control botches this call this badly. I mean, are you kidding me? I, I just I I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. And then the bullshit of. Let's start the race at 5 o'clock at night, you know, after the rain delay, right? Knowing full well you can't finish the race unless you get zero cautions. And then they call the race, you know, uh, there was 19 laps to go. They said, oh, it's 10 laps to go now. Yeah, I know they told the teams this at the end of stage two, but, I mean, come up with, you know, you know, when they got the green flag, they should have started doing the calculations then. All right, we're going to shorten the race up by 10 laps. Fine. Then then everybody knows what's going on. I mean, you know, this, well, we're going to let you guys know there's 10 laps to go. You know, they waited until the last possible second to shorten it 10 laps. I mean, I just, it just makes NASCAR look even more incompetent today. And, and, and the people that are, that are angry at them and upset at them because of what happened have every right to be angry and upset because, uh, in my in my opinion, NASCAR blew this race in, in so many ways, and and it just it makes me angry as a person that's been a fan of this sport for for over twenty years and covering it for over twenty. Uh, it just makes you it just makes your mind get blown because where the hell is is NASCAR? I mean, where is the NASCAR that that used to make really good calls? I mean, they used to be decent at this stuff, and 
It just seems like anytime there's a judgment call now, NASCAR blows it like 90% of the time. And it, it's getting really hard. You know, I, I understand why people don't watch it anymore. More and more every single week because this is this is a stupidity that you get to see. And it looks like a clown show. I mean, that SRX race I saw Saturday night with the fun flag, the caution every 25 laps. Um, I enjoyed that race more than I enjoyed the, the cup race at New Hampshire. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, I think that's why people went there to Nashville Fairgrounds and droves and why the, they had a really big crowd there. That, that, that grandstand was sold out. It looked great on TV. And say, say what you want. The racing at the SRX race was 10 times better than the cup race. And I, I like the fact that there was no PJ1. I don't think they should ever use PJ1 ever again at a cup track, if you ask me. Um, you know, the drivers hate it. And uh, I know a lot of the, the guys uh, on the crews don't like it because of the fact that it really doesn't help the cars. It doesn't really help the things turn. And um, I just, I don't understand it. You know, I just don't get it. Uh, it just, again, it just proves the point that NASCAR is not listening to their, to their competitors. They're not listening to the drivers and uh, something's got to change. I mean, you know, I, I just don't know how many more times that you can, you could beat the dead, the dead horse proverbially um, that NASCAR is just, they're not paying attention to their drivers. And, you know, they say they're listening to the fans. Um, I, I guess, I mean, you know, I don't know that many fans that wanted to see seven road, road course races this year. I think they wanted to see more short track racing. I think they want to see uh, NASCAR kind of get back to some of their more grassroots kind of racetracks, like a Nashville fairgrounds, like, um, you know, Slinger and some of these little, little short tracks that NASCAR used to go to, you know, I mean, not Slinger per se, but, you know, tracks like Slinger, um, there, there's things NASCAR should be doing. And, and it's just, you know, I figure while I'm on the, while I'm on my soapbox with it, you know, you got to get it all out there because I just think that, you know, the direction of the sport has been uh, changing for the last couple of years. And, and I think some of it's not, has not been for the better. I think some of it's been for the worse of the sport. And I'm incredibly worried that NASCAR is not listening to their drivers at a time when they should be listening to the drivers. Uh, pretty, pretty regularly. I mean, there should be a seat at the table for these guys. And, um, you know, I think that's part of the reason why a lot of these guys have sped up their retirements. Some of the older, the older drivers. And, uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we don't have a, a mass exodus at the end of 2022, if this new car sucks, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if, if Truex retires, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Hamlin, uh, ups and retires. Um, because I, I just, I can see Harvick retiring. I can see a lot of these guys. If, if this new car sucks, really bad. I could see a lot of guys getting out of the sport and uh, it's going to be to our, to our loss as us fans, because we're going to get stuck with drivers that probably aren't really ready for cup that are going to be in cup seats and the product's going to suffer. So I hope NASCAR knows what they're doing. I hope they got their heads in the right spot and to get their heads out of their asses uh, when it comes to calling races, because uh, they did a pretty shitty job yesterday and I'm not going to mince my words with it. They, uh, they should be doing a lot better job. They've been around this sport, a lot of them for a long time. And, um, you know, uh, the corner workers have got to be held accountable. I mean, if they're, if they're not going to call debris cautions when there's freaking an axle sitting in the road and some of the other crap that we've seen this year, I mean, what the hell are their jobs then? You know, what are they doing? And, and why is the guy that's responsible for them not fired yet? Um, so th- those are the things I want to see change. And, you know, I, I think my what an idiot of the weeks, like I said, is Steve O'Donnell. I mean, I, I just I don't understand how you how you make that call. I just you know that that statement in that broadcast booth is mind blowing to me. So um, 
that's that. But as far as the races go, I mean, Christopher Bell, like I said, dominated Saturday race. Uh, no big surprise there. You know, he's in a Gibbs car. You know that that 54 car is really good uh, pretty much every week, no matter who's driving it. I'm pretty sure I could drive that car and win. Uh, at least that's what it feels like. I mean, maybe I probably couldn't, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you think you'd be Superman in that 54 car. So you sort of understand why uh, Christopher Bell is in the Cup Series. You know, he's very good at what he does. Um, obviously, helps that he's driving Gibbs stuff. So that's always a big help. And then uh, Sunday, the shock of the the shock of the day, Eric Amarola winning after Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. wreck on lap six due to a wet racetrack. Um, and, you know, we've gone over that enough, but um, a big win for, for Ford, a big win for Stuart Haas Racing. If you would have asked me at the beginning of the season, uh, 22 races into the year, uh, Stuart Haas would only have one win. What driver would be the one that has that one win? I would not have picked Eric Amarola as that person. I would have had Harvick uh, for sure on that list and uh, probably only Harvick. So uh, a very surprising win. But once again, it just goes to prove that any given Sunday, the majority of this field could win given the right set of circumstances. And uh, Eric Amarola was was kind of the lucky one there on Sunday. Um, there was no PJ1. Uh, Kyle Busch was already out of the race. Martin Truex Jr. really didn't have a shot. Logano had that two-lap penalty because they took a picture of the car under red flag condition. Uh, and came down pit road uh, while the pits were closed. So, um, you know, realistically, a lot of the bigger players were taken out, and it gave Harvick and, and Keselowski and Blaney a shot to win the race, and all three of them blew it. So um, <laughs> give it up to Eric Amarola for beating those guys out and uh, picking up his third career win. His first win that wasn't on a plate track and his first win that you could pretty much say that Eric Amarola had the car to beat that day. So big win for him. Um, I think that kind of solidifies his ride for the next uh, year or so. I know someone made the joke in the next five years, but at least the next year, you, you'd figure two years. He's going to stay in that 10 car now that uh, Smithfield got another taste of victory lane with Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, you'd figure that they're going to stick around for a couple more years at least with Eric Amarola. So really that's all the time I have for today. I know uh, this uh, episode's going to go a little long, but uh, those are the things I really wanted to talk about. We'll talk about the, uh, the Brad Keselowski Rash Fenway official announcement, uh, you know, on Thursday or Friday when we do our other episode. And then uh, we're going to kind of follow the cup series and take two weeks off um, just so, uh, you know, cause there's not going to be a ton to talk about. I think, a lot of guys are going to be on summer vacations. I don't really expect a lot of ton, uh, a lot of 2022 news to break, but uh, we'll see how that all pans out. And uh, until next time, uh, this is Bobby Bailey. Hope you guys have a great week. I hope you guys tune in to the Roush Fenway announcement tomorrow. It's going to be around 11 o'clock at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I'm sure it's going to get uh, live streamed uh, somewhere. So uh, you'll find out about Brad Keselowski going over there and what they're going to call the team and all that fun stuff. So uh, check it out. We'll have all the news on our page as always. And, uh, like I said, have a great week. Hopefully the weather, uh, is nice where you guys are and, uh, enjoy, enjoy a little two week vacation from NASCAR. I think we all deserve it after the last uh, couple weeks of crap we had to deal with. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the crew chiefs corner podcast. I'm Bobby Bailey. Check us out on social media, Facebook at the crew chief on Twitter at the crew chief. Instagram at Crew Chiefs Corner, TikTok at Crew Chiefs Corner, and on the Anchor app at anchor.fm. Thanks for listening.